looking at verses 32 through 36. The title of the message this morning is, Not a Need Amongst Them. Not a Need Amongst Them. And you'll notice as we come into Acts 4:32 through 36, we see an incredible picture of the body of Christ. As I read through this, this text numerous times, one key subject, one key word kept coming to mind. And that one key subject, that one key word that just kept coming to mind over and over again was brotherly love. How could there be unity and selflessness apart from true brotherly love? It has to be at the very core. It has to be the very foundation of every church that is going to walk in obedience. I want to read the passage of Scripture and then just talk for a few moments. a very straightforward message. very straightforward text of Scripture. There's really no hidden meanings here. There are no mysterious words. I wonder what that means. It's a very simple, straightforward, biblical principle that we're seeing lived out in the body of Christ. So if you would follow along as I begin reading with verse 32 down through verse 37. It says, Now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. And no one said that any of his possessions was his own but instead held everything in common. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them. Catch that. For there was not a needy person among them. Why? Because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed for each person's basic needs. Joseph, a Levite, and a Cypriot by birth, the one of the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come into this passage of Scripture, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. I ask God that you would teach us how we might apply this to our lives. Lord, that we would be as biblical as we can in this picture of a, of a church that is filled with brotherly love. And I ask God that, Lord, even as we share this message, I know that there are people within our midst that are struggling financially. But, Lord, I also know that there are those in our midst that are not struggling and could help. We ask, God, that you would speak to each person as you see fit to speak to them. Lord, that your will would be accomplished in our lives, that we might walk in obedience and fellowship because of the love that we have for one another in the body of Christ. So, God, speak to our hearts, and might we respond appropriately. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 13... And verse 35, you need not turn there. It's a familiar verse. I just want to read it. It says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Our love, our actions really reveal our love of God, love for God, by how we respond to those around us. When we respond in love, it tells others that we are God's children. 
Now, could I do th certain things apart from God's love? Yes, people do good things every day. But for the child of God, God's word is clear. By your love, you reveal to the world around you that you are his disciples. And in John chapter 17 and verse 21, I think there's another principle that we see that is also tied in with this. It says, may they all be one as you, Father, are me in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe you sent me. What's he saying here? That our unity with one another also reveals that we have unity with Christ. In the body of Christ, these two things ought to be present. There ought to be the love of God in our hearts for one another. And there also must be a unity with, uh, within the body of Christ that reveals that we have unity with God the Father. You see, apart from brotherly love, apart from unity, you cannot go forward as one in the body of Christ. And I think this is awesome when you consider this, that as we look at this passage of Scripture here in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, there is no way, apart from selflessness, apart from God's love within us, apart from a unity amongst us, that they would do the things that they were doing. And it's really a challenge to all of us. So let's look at this text. First of all, we see two things in verse 32. In verse 32, it says, Now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. Now when you think about that, you say, well, that's uncanny. Can that really happen? It can happen in the body of Christ, and it ought to happen in the body of Christ. You see, it's only when there is selfishness and a lack of unity and a lack of God's love in our hearts that there is not an ability or a willingness to help each other out. See, does that really happen all across America every week? There are churches fighting and clamoring and at odds with one another. Now, I'll be the first to admit that you may see something that I've done in the church and you say, I don't like that. I get that. We're all different. We all have an opinion. We all have a bias. We all have a thought. But God calls somebody to lead, and right or wrong, we make decisions based off the best best of what we understand scripture but there are times that we need to understand is this something that is a biblical offense or a sin against somebody or is it scripturally wrong because if it's scripturally wrong we've got to deal with it if it's just an offense and you don't like it and it's your not your opinion or preference build a bridge and get over it but oftentimes when we can't build a bridge and we can't get over it selfishness comes in and bitterness sets in and the root begins to grow and it begins to divide God's house and that's wrong we ought to be able to come together as one. The world around us has fighting and bickering and griping and complaining. It ought not be in the body of Christ. We all amen that, but let's work on that. Let's come together to encourage one another. There is stress, there is woe, there are illness, there is everything else, and we need the encouragement of God's people within. says they were of one heart and one mind. The idea behind one heart is that their understanding, their will, their thoughts, their passions were on the same page. Does that mean they're going to be identical? No. Because that's the way God made us. We have different mindsets. We have different opinions. We have different preferences. We have different likes and dislikes. Some of you like a car. I like a truck. Some of you like Ford. I like Chevy. I drive both just in case wherever Brian is. 
Some of you like peach. I like peach. You like strawberry. We have differences. But we ought to come together as one when it comes to the body of Christ. There may be things I don't like, but if it's not sin, get over it. Because in the body of Christ, we ought to move forward with unity. But they are of one understanding and will. What they were there to do, what they were there to accomplish, was to serve God and obey Him completely and to care and love for one another. One mind or soul, psyche, the seat of feelings, desires, affections. They were together. That's so important. You see, churches across America struggle for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes we have this idea that, you know, a, ch a small church is more godly and more spiritual. That's not always the case. But neither is it more godly and spiritual to represent God's blessing if they're running 2,000. That's not the case either. And if you know me well enough, I'm not a megachurch guy. I want it to be a church this is, that is just big enough for everybody who wants to be able to serve to be able to serve. Because faith without works is dead. I want you to be able to serve in the body of Christ. One of the things I've heard as different members have come into the body of Christ here, they say, man, I look around and I kind of go through the, through the rows. And I say, yeah, they're in this and they're in this and they're in this. They're in this. Right. We ought to be working together and all of us ought to be serving God in some capacity. But when disunity comes in, I'm not doing that. So-and-so is going to do it. When selfishness comes in, I want to do it this way and they want to do it that way. Fine, they can have it. That's sinful and selfish and ununifying. And it's contrary to the heart of God. More is accomplished when you don't care who gets the credit for it. But when we're of one mind and one heart, moving forward for the cause of Christ and for God's glory, not our own, much more is accomplished. Think about it. What would happen if every one of us said we want to serve God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength? Great things were happening in this body. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. God was adding to the church daily as he saw fit to add them. Why? Because of the mindset that they had. Look at verse 33. It says, let me go back once. Let me tell you something that's even more uncanny about one heart, one mind. It's in the verse, first part of chapter, or verse 32. Now the, what's the next word? Large group. Imagine that. It wasn't just three making decisions. It was a large group of one heart and one mind. That's uncanny in itself sometimes. That a large group can come together and make decisions for God's glory. But it can happen when we are selfless and we have brotherly love directed towards one another. It says, And no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. When you think about this, they hadn't a great idea of what stewardship was all about. You see, a steward says, it's not mine. A steward says, this is not belong to me. A steward says, I just get to get take care of what's been entrusted to me. 
Um, <coughs> several years ago, uh, in Bible college, I had to do a pastoral internship between my junior and senior year. And that internship that I did was at Rose Park Baptist Church in Holland, Michigan. And uh, during the middle of that summer stay there in Holland, Michigan, I had a guy come up to me. He was an airline pilot. And he said, is that your truck out there? And I said, yes, sir. He goes, well, um, I got some brush. He said, do you use your truck for, like, work, right? And he goes, I said, of course. He goes, well, can I use it? And I said, sure, just an old truck. He goes, I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, I'll, I'll come by the church, and I'll drop off my Corvette, and I'll take your truck. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's all right. It's all really, it's okay. You just take the truck. He goes, no, no, I don't mind. It's just an old, just an old car. And I'm like, yeah, it's a T-top convertible. It's nice. It's like a 72 Stingray, T-top convertible. I was almost scared to drive it, man. But for like four days, I just cruised up and down Lake Michigan. <laughs> but I was very careful. I would like go up and down and then go park it. And then the next day, I went up and down and go and park it. I was afraid to drive it. Why? Because this car had been trusted to me for whatever period of time he wanted to use my beater truck. And I didn't want to ruin it. I didn't want to scratch on it. I didn't want it to you know, get hurt in any way. Even if it wasn't my fault, I didn't want nobody touching me and you know, running into me and scratching it as it got out at the, you know, at the beach. So I was very careful with it. I wanted to return it to its owner better than what it came to me. So the day before he got back, I pulled into the church parking lot, and I got the you know, T-tops back in. You know, I put, them all to, put it all together, rolled up the windows, washed the car down, you know, cleaned it all up, vacuumed it out. I wanted to return it better than what it came to me. I thought it was pretty cool I got to drive a Corvette for four days. I'm glad to get my truck back. But, you know, we're just stewards. Things are entrusted to us. Your homes are entrusted to you. The things that fill your home are entrusted to you. The cars that sit in your driveway are entrusted to you. None of it's yours. You understand that? It's not yours. It's God's. And it's really easy to say that until somebody hurts something you got. I think I shared this story with you one time that as a youth pastor and a having a young family, we had a Ford Aerostar van. Anybody remember those? Yeah, I won't go any further. Biggest piece of junk I ever owned. But it was mine, I thought. So here I am, a youth pastor. And remember, as those early years, you get out the Q-tips and you're cleaning the uh, you know, vents out. You know, it's my grocery getter, but it's, it's the grocery getter. But I'm cleaning it and, 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 and just you know, waxing it and polishing it. And at one of the youth groups, youth group activities, I had a kid just bouncing on the back of my bumper, just jumping on it, jumping on it. And I walk out, and I'm like, what in the world are you doing, you yo-yo? I mean, and just about the time I look up, he's holding onto the spoiler, and it just rips it off. At that moment, you're going to reveal whether it's your van or God's van. And you know what I'm talking about. It's that moment when you walk out of Walmart parking lot, and you're, even though you parked in the back 40, somebody put a ding in your door. And you, at that moment, determine whether it's yours or God's. It's that moment when you're 
have your nieces and nephews who drive you insane at your house and you notice, you notice there's a big scratch in the end table from running their toys across it and scratching the wood. And yet at that moment you determine whether it's yours or God's. See, we're to take care of it. We're stewards of it. But they're not ours. And how we respond to the things of life that happen contrary to what we would want to happen determines whether or not we're stewards or owners. This group says everything we have, all these possessions, they're not ours. He says, but instead they had everything common. They were just things. Look at verse 33. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power and great grace was on them. Verse 32, you see one heart, one mind. Verse 33, you see great power, great grace. Great power, the strength and the ability that God was giving them because of the testimony of Christ's resurrection. It gave them renewed strength and vigor to go proclaim the message of God, giving them this Jesus Christ. He's real. And he's changing our lives. I mean, he's risen from the dead. And it gave them that power to go forward. They had a message that needed to be proclaimed. It says, and great grace was on all of them. The idea behind this particular grace, grace is so used in the scripture. There are numerous um, examples of grace all throughout scripture. But this particular nuance, it's goodwill, loving kindness, favor. God's favor was upon them because of what they were doing. They experienced great power, great grace. Verse 34 says, For there was not a needy person amongst them. Why? Because all of those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. Not a needy person amongst them. Now think about this. Remember back verse 32. It was a large group. Define large. I don't really know. But if you go back to Acts 2, the group was getting bigger and bigger. That much we know. Some people say there was probably better than 500. Some people say it may have been closer to the 3,000. I don't know. But within this group, there was not a need amongst them. Get that in your minds for just a minute. That's exciting. That's encouraging. That because they're a part of this local body, everybody had the mindset that everybody, hey, I want to make sure everybody's needs are covered. Now, what it does not mean is this. It does not mean within, mean within the context of what he's saying here that if you had a land, you had to go sell it. If you had a nice house, you had to go sell it. That's not what it's saying here. And I don't want you to misinterpret that. But one thing that is being implied is this. When there was a need, people looked internally and said, hey, I wonder what I can do to help out that need. It may have been land. It may have been a house. It may have been other possessions. But the idea was, I'm going to make sure that everybody need, everybody's needs are met. The basic needs. Now, just because you're behind on your cable bill doesn't mean it's the church's responsibility to get you caught up. That's not a basic need of life, uh, contrary to some opinion. 
Uh, the other day at Tuesday morning Bible study, I shared an actual voicemail that was left at another local church about a lady who called the church and said, Hey, uh, my, my cat needs uh, its uh, flea, uh, flea protection and some shots, and uh, it's going to cost this much, and you can send a check from the church to my vet. Call my vet, they'll vouch for me. Yeah, I, I shared it with the guys. There. I, the other pastor gave it to me. I'm like, what? Is, he, is this like for real? He goes, oh, that's serious. She left a couple of messages. This is the first one. It's not the church's responsibility to make sure your cat has flea protection. That's not a basic need of life. Now, if you come to me and say, Pastor, we're really low on groceries this week. I promise you, I will do everything within my might to make sure you have your needs met. I will do everything I can within my might to make sure we help you with that. But when we think about each other in the body of Christ, there should be a mindset that says, I have so much I've been blessed with. And then all of a sudden the news is made known that so-and-so has a need. You know why the need doesn't get out? One word. It's listed in a list of things in Proverbs that God hates. You know what that word is? Pride. You say, well, Pastor, I just don't want to air my dirty laundry. Okay, but you have not because you ask not. There has to be a way in which we can say, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. But if you don't say anything, we can't always know. And other people don't have the opportunity to be a blessing to you if you don't share it with them. Sometimes you can't do anything. But the bare bones minimum we ought to be doing is praying for one another. Encouraging one another. And when possible, help one another. See, I know that within every body there are those who are in need. And there are those who have more than enough. I know that. Over the years... And I'll just tell you from the pulpit, I don't know what any of you give. I have no clue what you give, tithe, offerings. I, I don't know. I don't want to know. Quite honestly, it's between you and God. But over the years, I have come to the conclusion that there are those who are incredibly blessed financially. I don't know the exact numbers. Don't need to know. But I also know that they've been tight as all get out. And I wonder, how is God going to bless that? Even after needs are made known. And they're like, no, sorry, too bad. What is it that God would have you to do with what he's given you? To meet the need of someone else who is in the body of Christ. Every year, and we can't do it here because every church has a different makeup, a different type of body. But when we were in Tippecanoe, Indiana, I, I, it was unique. We had a lot of builders in the church. We had several men who had um, businesses together, or at least did construction of some sort. One guy owned a lumber yard and a trust company. And uh, so for the five years that we were there, every summer we did one house um, where we had an elderly family in the church who were struggling financially. We would start at 6 in the morning on Saturday morning. By 10 o'clock, that roof would be off. By noon, new sheeting would be down and it'd be tar paper. And we'd come down and have a big fellowship, you know, dinner. And then by 4 or 5 o'clock, we were buttoning up the roof and putting new shingles on. 
didn't cost that person anything but the material. Once a summer we did that. Because we had, that was the makeup of the body. We may not have builders here who can take care of a roof, but we have people who can take care of a chunk financially. Or whatever the need may be. A car. I'm thankful that we have a couple of people who are willing to help with, on vehicles when someone's struggling. I appreciate that. That's huge. But what is it that God's gifted you with that could be a blessing to someone else in the body of Christ? See, when we have the mindset that it's not really mine, these, even, the, even the talents I possess, they're not mine, they're God's. He gave me the ability, and I want to share them. So much more could be accomplished. But verse 34 is very clear. There was not a need amongst them. Some sold their homes, they sacrificed their treasures, and they surrendered their desires. You see, it's really easy to say, well, I've worked so hard for so many years, and uh, this is my nest egg. That's great if it's your nest egg. But if you're a steward of that nest egg, God may say, hey, I want you to exercise some faith here. Help so-and-so. This is my nest egg, God. I mean, I need this. But is it yours or mine? We've talked about this. There's a ministry called Generis, and they have this video. It's really interesting how the progression works in the hearts of people when they get this principle. It goes from the first question, which is, I wonder what I should do with my money. I wonder what I should do with my money. And God begins to work in their hearts. And the second question comes. I wonder what God wants me to do with my money. I wonder what God wants me to do with my money. And then it goes to the third question. I wonder what God wants me to do with his money. See the progression? I wonder what I should do with my money. I wonder what God wants me to do with my money. I wonder what God wants me to do with his money. That's when you get it. That we're just stewards of what he's given to us. And when there's a need made known, am I willing to consider that? That maybe God would have me to help that person with this great need. So that some sold their homes. And I'm not advocating you go sell your homes, just so you know. Not willing to say that. But they sacrificed their treasure. Rather than keeping that nest egg for a rainy day, they were willing to sacrifice. And then in the sacrifice, they surrender their own desires. Because it goes from what I want to what God wants. In verse 35, it says, And then they laid them at the apostles' feet, the funds that were gained. This then was distributed for each person's basic needs. They gave what they had, and what they had was given. Two things. Verse 32, one heart, one mind. Verse 33, great power, great grace. Verse 34, they sold, sacrificed, and surrendered. Verse 35, they gave what they had, and 
what they had was given. They understood stewardship and they practiced benevolence. Let me just ask this question. When's the last time God used you to help someone else? I remember when I first came here, there was a lot of needs. And there still are needs. But I was amazed at how many people reached out to me and said, hey, could we send a mission mission trip to your church? And the more I thought about it, I was like, absolutely. I think in the first three years, we had three different mission teams come to our church and help us. Some of it went well, some of it didn't go well. Some of it was a blessing, some of it was not. But the heart of the people were, we want to come serve, we want to be a blessing, and I appreciated that. But then God began to work in my heart as a pastor and say, you know what, you can't just get, 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 get. At some point, we as a church need to give. So years, four and five of us being here, we started looking at other ways that we could help others. I don't know if you know this, but over the last couple of years, our church has been used during the middle of the week for probably seven different mission trips who have come into this area. Pull the tra- shower trailer out back and okay, stay in two side rooms for a week, do your project, and then they head out. We've been able to be a blessing to probably seven other mission trips over the last five years. Our church is currently helping one other church plant and is probably going to be starting another church plant just by using our church facility for a couple hours on a Saturday. Um, just talked to Pastor Dinesh Ray last week. And he said they're getting ready to leave the apartment that they've started the church in to get more space on a Saturday afternoon. At some point, we as a church need to give, not just get. And the more we give, the more God blesses. But especially within the body of Christ. Keep your fingers there in in Acts chapter 4 and turn over to the book of James. James chapter 2. I just want to read a couple verses. These are familiar verses. I won't spend a lot of time here. James 2 verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food... And one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat well. But you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? You see, if we have the ability to do something and we don't, shame on us. Where is God's love in that picture? I'll tell you where it's at. It's non-existent. Because he says in verse 17, In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Our works do not save us, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But our works is a byproduct of a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. So if we know there's a need and we choose to disregard it altogether, shame on us. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. says, if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. What does that teach us? It's not enough just to say at times, 
well, you know, I feel bad for you, I'm praying for you, but have a good day. I'll be honest with you, I can't stand the fact that I can't help sometimes. It drives me insane. I would love to have, if you're a multimillionaire and you're like a closet multimillionaire, come see me. Just, I would love just to have this account, hey, you know, so-and-so, help them. Just do it anonymously. Just help them. I would love to do that. And some of you have that ability. I'm convinced. And sometimes because of my position as a pastor, needs are presented to me that the rest of you don't hear anything about. By choice. There's privacy there. And there are times I just wish I could say, you know what, so-and-so can help you with that. Or I know someone I can contact. At times I do, at times I can't. But if you have the ability, don't do it for show. Don't do it for recognition. Just do it. Because you can. No other reason. Because God's blessed you. But if we have, as it says in 1 John there, and don't do it, how can God's love be in you? So he said in the beginning here in Acts 4.32, the only reason this can be said of them is because they have love for God and love for each other. Love that surpasses selfishness and disunity. Because God's more important than me. We come down, verse 35, we see that they gave what they had because they understood stewardship, and what they had was given because they practiced benevolence. And in verses 36 and 37, we see an example to consider in in the life of Barnabas. I won't take the time to go through all the passages, but if we were to do a study, maybe we'll do that tonight. We'll look at the example of Barnabas tonight in detail. But in Acts chapter 9, you see that uh, Barnabas introduces Paul to the church. See, Paul didn't have a really good testimony, if you didn't know that. He wasn't a real nice guy before he got converted. But Barnabas went out of his way to introduce, and in Acts chapter 11, we see that he ministered to the Greeks. And in verse 24, he, he was a good man full of faith. In verse 30, he helped the poor, the poor in Jerusalem. He didn't just, he said, let us, lo- let us love in deed, in action, not just word. Barnabas lived that out. In Acts chapter 13, he went with Paul on his first missionary journey. In Acts 15, he re- represented the church of Antioch at the Jerusalem Council. But why am I saying all this? Because Barnabas was a selfless man. Selfless man. You see what he did in verse 36. Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. He said, hey, here you go, guys. Just whatever you need. You know, they distributed to the basic needs of the people in, in this group. He's willing to give of what he had. As you look at God's word. There's so much to say about finances that we don't hear about about it. And I'll go in more details with these tonight at six o'clock. So I'm just putting a plug in. So come back. Four principles to consider. I'm just going to give you the principles. We'll look at the scripture and get in detail tonight. Number one, if one is able to work, he should work. God's word says a lot about not being a sluggard, not being lazy. And I've known people who have turned down jobs far more than what I will ever see because it wasn't good enough for them. I kid you not. 
I had a friend who went through Notre Dame, and uh, as a voice teacher, she was offered like $65,000 a year to do voice lessons, three, four days a week. And she turned it down because she felt she was worth more. I'm like, kidding me? You work at 65K? This is like 10 years ago for like three days a week? I wonder, I wonder if I could like somehow get in on that. No, I can't, trust me. But if you're able to work, work. Trust me, I've done some cruddy, lousy, stinking, pathetic, hateful jobs providing for my family. I can't even go there. I couldn't stand some of those jobs I did, but it was a paycheck, and I was like glad to do it because it provided for my family. Number two, if a family can support a person in need, the church should not. And I'm talking about family helping family. And we have scripture for that. We'll look at tonight. If the church supports someone, he should make some type of return to the church. The person who has helped should make some type of return if possible, scripturally. And we'll look at that. Number four, if the church is going to support someone, it's appropriate for them to examine the moral conduct of the one receiving the help. Let me just say it. From time to time, and it does go in spurts, we get phone calls. And you help so-and-so. I remember in Indianapolis, we were the W's, Water's Edge. And you know that by the time they got to the W's, they've made 25 phone calls ahead of us. But we had a close-knit group of pastors that, hey, did you get so-and-so calling you? Yep. Okay, thank you. <laughs> we knew who was making the rounds because we talked to each other. We have some of that that goes on here as well. It's okay to examine the moral conduct of someone who's asking for help. There's scripture for that. And if a church does choose to support someone in need, it should be for basic necessities of living. I'm not going to buy your Coke Classic and drink water. It's not our church's responsibility to provide for your table. It's not the church's responsibility to, uh, you know, do it all the little necessity or all the non-necessities of life. The scripture is full of principles that lend towards what we're learning today. But I love this principle. When God's love is present, first of all, in the vertical relationship, and secondly, in the horizontal, we'll have a mindset that is selfless because we want to love one another in action, not just in word. You say, well, I don't have money. That's just, it is what it is. I don't have anything. The question I have then is, what do you have? What God, what has God blessed you with? There's something about being a pastor. Everybody in this church knows what I make. <laughs> it's an annual report. But you can say, well, I don't have a lot. I don't know if you do or don't. I don't really care. But what I do care about is are we walking in obedience as a body? But there are some things that you can do, and I don't say this to toot my own horn, but I'll just to give you an example. We have a guy in this area who is planning a church. Harvest Bible Chapel. And uh, I've gotten to know Pastor Brandon Capuano fairly well over the last several months, uh, partly because I get some of his mail. 
they don't have a physical address and UPS will not deliver to a P.O. box. So there are times that I get Harvest Bible Chapel's boxes and I, hey, Brandon, I got some more of your stuff. I'll be right over. But we've gotten to know him. And uh, Brandon is uh, starting, uh, like today is their first official service over at St. John Fisher campus. But they've rented a space over there to start their church. And uh, in this temporary space, they bring everything over every Saturday night in a trailer, an 8x12 trailer, and their sound equipment's in there, their speakers are in there, their tables are in there, their, I mean, it's loaded to the gilt. I mean, you open the door and it's like 10,000 pound trailer. And they set it up every Saturday night and they tear it down every Sunday afternoon. And he says, Pastor, can we put our trailer in your church parking lot? He says, I don't really have room at my house and I don't have a physical parking lot at the school that we can use. I said, sure. Well, come to find out, he says, uh, the following week, he says, well, we found a church that's right over by the campus and we're going to put it over there. And I said, that's fine. He says, uh, so he goes, I just want to thank you for, you know, the possibility of letting us keep your trailer there on, you know, during the week. And he says, now I just got to, you know, go get a truck and to pick it up with. I said, what do you mean you got to get a truck? Oh, we got to pick up a truck every week. We rent a truck for 80 bucks a week. Yeah, you can use it. Use what? My truck. Oh, what do you mean? I said, well, you can use it. And uh, he come by, he looks, he goes, you sure? And I'm like, just the truck. Um, so every Sunday, or every Saturday, they come get my white truck, they pull their 10,000 pound trailer, and every Sunday afternoon he drops it off. Saves them $80 a week. So far, they've had service five weeks. Five times eight is what? I saved them $400 just the way that I can give. I can't give them $400, but it's a way that I can help out. Think about what you have, what you can do, whether it's time, which is a huge commodity, whether it's talents, which God gave you anyway, or your treasure, which is sometimes hard to give up, Time, talents, treasure. What else is there that starts with a T? Figure it out. What might God use you to do that may help someone else in the body of Christ? Once again, I realize it's just an old white truck. It's got a lot of scratches and even a whole lot more rust on it. But last year, I put a brand new bumper on the rear of it. Riding with Mike the other day, and we're talking, we're just shooting the breeze, talking, all of a sudden, boom, I'm like, somebody just hit me? Yep. Didn't touch my bumper, but there's eight inches of hitch that was in that lady's grill. <laughs> I felt so bad. I look back and she's going like this. <laughs> it's an older lady who just wasn't watching. And I thought, well, I escaped without a scratch in my truck. Didn't hurt my rust at all. The next day, or Sunday, my truck gets bracked and 
guy says to me, he says, put a dent in your truck. I'm like, you did not. He goes, no, really, I did. I said, shut up. You did not. I'm looking at my truck. I'm like, it's fine. He goes, no, it's in the back. So I'll walk around the back. Yep. Dent in my new, new bumper. <laughs> he kind of looks at me. He goes, I don't know if you want to exchange insurance or anything, but um, I said, I'll make you a deal. Kind of looks up at me and he goes, Yeah? He says, I won't lose any sleep if you won't. He says, Okay. Whose truck is it? It's God's. It's just a thing in the big picture. And all of our funds, they're just things. And our houses, they're just things. And yes, we're going to take care of them and we're going to do the best we can and we're going to replace the water heater when it goes out and we're going to fix the plumbing when it leaks because God wants us to be a good steward of what he's given to us. But within the body of Christ, when there is love for God and love for each other, we have to be helping and encouraging one another. Amen? Think of what could be done if I had this mindset. And let me just tell you, I don't have any agendas. I don't really have any big things in the back of my mind that I want you to do. I'm just wanting you to consider whose stuff is it? And what does he want you to do?